My guest today is a working spiritual and psychic medium, trance healer and teacher. She spent her entire life working with and understanding the world of spirit. Although she didn't understand the relationship at a very young age, she has devoted her entire life to learning and sharing her stories and knowledge with students around the world. My guest was privileged to be a teacher with the Tony Stockwell Academy, which led her to teach in countries around the world. In her early years, she met a young man who was to play a key role in her development in later years. My guest is very much a family lady and lives in the south of England, near Hasslocks. She has such a wealth of knowledge and experience for us to tap into today, so let's waste no time at all. Ladies and gentlemen, my guest today and my new friend is Marlene Woolgar. This is the Spirited Talk podcast. Stories and conversations about connecting with your friends and loved ones in the spirit world. With over 20 years of study and practice as a medium, here's the host of the show, Trevor. And a very good day to everybody that's listening. It's nice to have you back on Spirited Talk. This is going to be one heck of a story, and I'm sure you're going to find out why. So before we go any further, it's time for me to introduce my guest today. Marlene Woolgar is with me. Hey, hello. <laughs> Hi, Trevor. Thank you for inviting me. Oh, it, it truly is my pleasure. You have one heck of a following could you just tell our listeners whereabouts you're speaking to me from today? I'm speaking to you from my home in Hurstpit Point in Hassocks. It's easier to say Hassocks because people never know how to spell or pronounce Hurstpit Point. I have actually been there. For those that don't know the geography, it's inland, I think about 20 miles maybe from the coast? It's eight miles from Brighton, eight oh. miles north of Brighton. Oh, well, I went there late at night, so I remember. <laughs> I remember, yeah, I did. No, I did. Uh, again, a little minor detail for the listeners here, because they're always nosy. There might be some looking on the screen saying, oh, I fancy her. Is she married? Does she have a partner? Tell us about that. Yes, I'm married. I've been married for a very, very, very long time to my husband, Dave. And we've got three children as a result of that marriage. And I now have two grandchildren as well. But I'm nanny, not granny. Ah, <laughs> uh, isn't that embarrassing, though? I remember a few years ago when I found out that I was going to be a granddad. I said, you're joking, I'm still pulling. You can't do that sort of thing to me. And I've recently found out my daughter's going to have another little child in the next few months. So, Oh, congratulations. How lovely. I'll be a triple granddad by then. So. <laughs> Well, just before we started this morning, as those of you that follow us on Instagram will know, I took two tarot cards out from my pack after a shuffle and I ask the divine force that is that controls those cards to give me a story. I wanted to know the story and I suggested to them I wanted to know about Marlene's mum and how she met her dad. So I've got those two cards. When we come to the story, I'll introduce those and we'll see how they align. OK, well, I was born in Haywards Heath, which is also in Sussex. That was in the days that it was just Sussex before it became came East and West Sussex. The second child of my parents, I have an older brother, but I also have two younger sisters. 
My dad used to work for a plant hire company and was part of building Crawley. The plant hire company was a big influence in the building of Crawley in those days. Um, And my mum at the time was a stay-at-home mum, but later worked as a home help during school hours. We had a, a very happy childhood, actually. There wasn't a lot of money, but my parents always saw that we never went hungry. We never went without clean clothes. We used to go for wonderful country walks on a Saturday afternoon. We were surrounded by countryside at the time, and I absolutely loved it. We used to go, and it was in the days that you could go and pick wildflowers and not be scolded for it. And my favourite flowers, I never knew that they were actually wood anemones. I used to call them wooden enemies. We loved it. We They'd walk our legs off all round the local woodlands. Uh, We were very, very lucky. I loved school. Our primary school had its own little woodland. And where we used to, well, I suppose children nowadays would learn nature study in a classroom, we would go into the woodland and we'd be taught the names of all the different wildflowers. And sometimes we would actually be shown where the blackbirds were nesting. And one of our teachers used to take us into the woods sometimes and say, right, be really, really quiet because they're teaching the fledglings to fly. And we would hide behind a bush and watch these tiny little blackbirds come out and take their first flights. It was incredible. What better way to teach children than show them firsthand? So I was very fortunate to have been able to go to such a lovely school. My aunt at the time, my dad's sister ran a local children's entertainment troupe called the Dainty Diners. We used to go along and they'd put on little plays and songs and everything and we would go to local nursing homes, to local hospitals and entertain the people and I thoroughly loved that. And my sisters and I were always putting concerts on at home for our parents. We used to love singing to them. And we just had a knack of harmonising with no formal training. But that was a really lovely part of my childhood, that we could sing. And the school itself, I forgot to mention, that in the summer months, we were allowed to bring our desks out onto the front lawns of the school and have our classes in the open air. Now, heaven forbid a child should be asked to carry a desk out of a classroom onto a lawn these days because of health and safety. (laughs) But we used to love it. And when we were there in the the late, hot afternoons of summer, sitting there, and we'd see a familiar head bobbing along the hedge, and we'd go, oh, there goes your mum, you know. And we knew that they were coming to meet us from the school gate. But I absolutely loved it. The only bit I didn't like with school was the school milk because it was always lukewarm. It was awful. Do you remember that? Oh, yeah. It was a third of a pint. You never get those bottles these days. It was a third of a pint. But in the school I was at, you also got a little bag of KP nuts. Oh, did you? Oh, we never got such luxuries. No, we just had a bottle of milk and I hated it. And some loved it, but it was always lukewarm. You know, again, I suppose in those days they didn't think to put it in a fridge or even have a fridge at the school. I have no idea. One thing that did alarm me one day when I was at school was that somebody came into the classroom and said, the headmaster wants to see Marlene. And they were going, oh, what have you done? What have you done? And I was absolutely terrified. And I was quaking in my shoes outside of his office. And he called me in and he said, I understand you're very good with reading. 
And I said, well, I love reading because my mum and dad have always had lots of books at home. And he said, right, read this for me. And he'd got the Bible up on a little wooden lectern in his office. And I started reading this bit from the Bible. And he said, now, although it's spelt shoe, S-H-E-W, the word is show. So he said, read that to me again. So I read it to him again. He said, wonderful, you're reading that in assembly tomorrow. (laughs) (laughs) I think I was about nine at the time. (laughs) And he used to have me reading in assembly quite frequently. (laughs) And so I suppose that's um, helped me in lots of ways of speaking to people yeah. You know, face-to-face when I've just met them, maybe. Well, I just, just want to rewind a little bit. I mean, I'm looking on the camera here, and I, I think you must be a child of the 80s. I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong on that. Trevor, I love you. Thank you very much. <laughs> Thank you. I'm actually going to bring in the Instagram tarot part that I did because it's now relevant. Okay. I want you to just look at your mum and your dad for a moment. When I asked the Divine Spirit this morning to give me, you know, something about your dad that attracted your mum, and I got this card, which is the Ten of Pentacles. Now, obviously, everybody can read the cards as they want. In this case, I read this card as your father was a very generous person. He had a very uh, very kindly attitude with everybody, and everybody could come to him, and, you know, if they needed a fiver for something, he he would give it whether he could afford it or not was different but he could he could do that he was a generous person so this is something that attracted your mum yes she loved your father but she loved him because of this it was because of his attitude and because of the way he is now the interesting next card that I pulled was oddly enough the two of cups which is all about emotions and partnership so there's no doubt about the fact that your mother absolutely loved your dad but whereas some men it might have been muscles or spare ribs or even money that brought that person person to the lady's attention. In your mother's case, she's seen your father as an extremely generous and a wonderfully kind person. And that's why she fell in love. Now, that's just my interpretation. You take over. Tell me if that's true or not. You're absolutely spot on. My parents didn't have a lot of money in the early years, but they would always be willing to give to anybody else. And I remember when my mum was working as a home help, that her and dad were very heavily into gardening. They loved their gardens. And they would pot up all these little plants to take to the elderly people who lived in a a local court known as Pilgrim Court. They'd take them little plants for Easter. And it might just be a little bulb with a daffodil or a tulip in. But they loved doing that. When mum first met dad, it was actually by accident that her and dad got together because she'd gone with her friend. Her friend had set up like a blind date for the two of them. And I think my dad was the one that was meant to be with my mum's friend and mum was meant to be this other man. So they they went out and my mum said, oh, who's that miserable so-and-so? <laughs> and it was my dad. And it was just that he was a little bit shy. <laughs> but they hit it off. And the story behind them getting married is quite interesting because in those days you had to have permission from your parents if you were under a certain age. And my mum was just 18 and she used to help out so much at home at the time. In fact, a lot of people said she was like my nan's slave because my mum was one of six and she used to look after all the children as being the eldest daughter. So my nan wouldn't give permission for my mum to get married My granddad, on the other hand, really liked my dad. And he said, well, you'll have to find a way of having to get married. 
So they had an aunt and uncle, I think it was my mum's aunt and uncle, who said, well, come to Brighton to visit us and we'll take it from there. So they went to Brighton and they stayed the night (laughs) at my aunt and uncle's separate rooms, of course. But when they came back, my dad said to my nan, I'm really sorry we couldn't get back last night. We missed the train, but we'll have to get married now. Well, of course, my nan didn't want any shame on the family. So, of course, she signed all the papers and they got married. And then after a few months, she went, well, you're not showing at the moment, are you? My mum said, showing what? And my nan said, the baby. So mum said, what baby? And she said to my dad, well, you said you had to get married. And my dad said, yes, because we love each other. (laughs) And my brother wasn't born for two years. Yeah, there we are then, Well, I'm not quite sure how that aligns with my uh, Instagram tarot readings there. It's absolutely spot on because my going back to my dad being really kind, my nan wouldn't speak to them for two years after that because she felt she'd been hoodwinked. But when my brother was born, my nan wanted to see him. And my mum said, no, she hasn't wanted to know us for two years. But it was my dad said, no, we can't deny her that right. You know, and him and my nan ended up being really close. but at the time so again his kindness came through and I think that's what my mum well what everybody loved about him and even when he didn't have any money he'd always give his time to people you know I assume because he had his own business your father was a very hard-working person and you've already said that your mother was a home out which coincidentally my mum was as well which is quite uh-huh. amazing and by by the way another coincidence there is my mum and dad used to make a little bit of money off the garden because they used to grow wallflowers and people used to queue outside our house to buy a oh, bunch really? of wall- yeah the wallflower plants um so it's quite a coincidence but that was way before your time. That was in the 1960s, 1970s. Let's have a look at your dad for a, a moment here. Was your mum and dad, were they in any way religious, do you think? No, not really. Not really. And by the way, dad didn't own the plant hire company. He worked for them. But no, not really. Although they sent us to Sunday school. Um, I think it's the only time of the week they got together. <laughs> they sent us to Sunday school and in the school summer holidays, there was an evangelical church further up the road from where we lived. And they used to run a, I can't remember what they called it. I think it was called Holiday Club or something. And nearly all the kids from the area used to go there because it was such fun. And although they used to sort of teach us the scriptures, we didn't know that's what we were learning because we'd be, given these beautiful drawings to colour in and things like that. And they'd have sweets and drinks and all the things that we didn't normally get at home, all the naughties. So, yes, but they weren't particularly religious. They had their own beliefs, I think. But apart from that, they weren't churchgoers. And what was your mum and dad's uh, opinion of education? Did they take that as something that was serious for the children? Or was it just, you know, you went to the local school and that was it? Was education something that was important to your mother and father to teach to the children? With us, we always had a mass of books to read. We were always encouraged to read. We were always encouraged to do our best. My dad used to say, if you do your best, you can't do more than that. You know, and he'd always tell us how proud he was of us. And my mum, likewise. Uh, So they did believe education was very important. There's no way you could skive off school with my mum and dad. (laughs) Because they knew, (laughs) like parents do, they knew if you were were telling porkies or hadn't arrived at school. 
I, I did skive off school quite a bit. It was mainly during gardening season that my dad would say, you can have a day off, but you're helping me out in the garden. So uh, in the end, I wanted to go back to school, really. Otherwise, it was double digging the garden, and I hated doing that as well, which I think was a clever way of my mum and dad doing that. Right, I want to just focus you back onto those early years. Was your relationship with your siblings, your uh, is it two brothers and one sister? Two? One brother and two sisters, an older brother and two younger sisters. So what was your relationship? You were the second born, so uh, you weren't necessarily favourite, were you? There wasn't a favourite in our family, actually. When I think of it, you know, my brother, when he was born, he was born with spina bifida. And the doctors said to my mum and dad, no, you mustn't try and make him walk. He's never going to walk. And they spent a lot of time going between home and a place known as Chaley Heritage, which was the Um, is still there actually obviously been expanded and improved for his treatments you know my mum and dad were very determined to give him the best life possible and so when my dad was at work my mum was quietly teaching him to walk and she said to my dad one day he came in from work and she said to my brother go on show daddy what you can do and he was about two and a half I think mum said and she said to my dad kneel down and he knelt down And my brother toddled to him. And my mum said all she remembers is her and dad with their arms around my brother and each other crying, kneeling on the floor. And then the doctors decided, oh, that perhaps they could operate. And they closed the patch on his back. And he always had this scar on his back. But that was down to my parents' determination because he could have ended up in a wheelchair. And he went on to become an entertainer. And he's retired now, but his job was as cruise director for P&O. Oh, really? In charge of all the entertaining and and everything. So, you know, and that is, I still think that's down to my mum's determination. No one's going to say that my son's never going to walk. Wow, that is an incredible story. Just so as I can also get a timeline on this, I'm going to ask you a couple of silly questions just so as I can build in the picture here. What's the first major event in the news that you remember seeing on TV in your childhood? Oh, gosh. Um, Probably when Winston Churchill died because I wrote a poem about it that was published in the local newspaper. So you and me must be roughly the same age, which is shocking. 29. You were what? Well, I'm 29 every year. If you yeah. see my Facebook yeah. page every year, my friends congratulate me on my 29th birthday. So you must be the same age. Yeah, no, I haven't aged as well as you, I'm afraid. No, I'm 35. <laughs> so, um, oh, 35? Yeah, 35. <laughs> that was that was when I was at my prime and I've never wanted to leave there ever since, really, to be honest with you. So Winston Churchill, black and white, the train taking the coffin and all of that. Yeah, I remember that. Wow, that's exciting. Now, on the childhood time, can you remember what your favourite toy was? I still got it. It was a plastic, a hard plastic doll that I called Trixie. And I still got her. Her legs were held together with elastic bands, which have all disintegrated, so she's in a box now. But I used to take that doll everywhere with me. And when I eventually married and moved home, my mum said, you better have this. I've been saving it in the loft for you. Oh, wow. I'm just building up the picture a little bit more here. So here you are as a child and we're coming up to, say, Christmas, for example. Was your mother one of those that made – in those days, you used to make your own Christmas decorations with crepe paper and used to put it through a sewing machine and sew it up. Was your mother one of those that really decorated the house well at Christmas? 
We used to have loads of decorations. Um, us girls used to love making paper chains and mum would buy us a set each, so we would make paper chains. They'd go all over the house and um, the school used to get us to make decorations as well. But mum was normally too busy during the school day with her home help to be making decorations, but they always made a big thing about Christmas and family Christmas it was always family. I, I'm, I'm just smiling at you, uh, Marlene, not not because of what you've just said, because of a memory I have. My We were poor, and I remember mum saying we could make some paper chains out of newspapers, etc. And we did. And we used Dad's The Sun newspaper. Now, you're probably seeing ahead what's happening here, but we all cut the strips up and we all made the decorations. And it was one of our relations, well, he wasn't a relation, he was a friend of Dad's, Uncle Peter, that once came to the house, looked up at the... Uh, you know the decorations and noticed the sun page three girls special parts actually <laughs> visible to everybody i can tell you now those decorations came down at the end of that evening <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's, no. that, that's oh, what we did i can imagine that <laughs> so when you got up on christmas day i I'm, I'm, i don't know why i'm doing this now because we're coming into the summer but nonetheless let's have a little look when you got up on christmas morning which i, I guess was probably four o'clock in the morning was there a ritual and when you went into the lounge was there like three chairs with three piles or four chairs with four piles of stuff on yes we'd wake up and there'd be something on the bottom of each bed but it wasn't, as my husband always says, when he was little, he used to get a piece of coal, a walnut and an orange. <laughs> um, but we used to have like a Christmas stocking on the bottom of our beds. And then when we went downstairs, the um, two armchairs and the settee, each of us would have our own designated area. So yes. with, with presents in. Yes. And there weren't loads of presents, but they were treasured all the more because we you know, nowadays, I think parents tend to go a little bit overboard with gifts for their children. And we knew that whatever we were given, they put a lot of thought into. Yeah. So they were all treasured gifts. Well, we had a sort of a uh, an issue in our house. Uh, my brother, bless him, was favourite at the time. And there was always this thing about why has he got a bigger pile of presents than anybody else? And he always had the best to toys. You know, he would have a train set and I'd have a plastic guitar. That's kind of way it was. And so there was always this slight, I suppose you'd call it animosity at Christmas. You know, we'd love what we got, the little, you know, the little things that we got. But we always thought, why does Les get so much more than us? Well, one of my favourite Christmas presents that I had, I remember, was a nurse's uniform because at the time I wanted to be a nurse. You still got it? And <laughs> I'm not going to say. <laughs> um, that's my secret. And um, another one was a Monopoly set. And I still got that as well. The box might be held together with sellotape now, but I still got the Monopoly set that I was given as well. So, oh wow! What was your favourite all time? If you can remember up to say the age of fifteen, because at the age of fifteen it starts to get a little pathetic. You come down and there's like two presents, and your mother says, "Well, you're an adult now, and you don't feel like it." But up until that stage, what was your favourite all time? You, you mentioned a doll. Was that, does that still stand? Is the favourite thing you ever got? And Trixie has always been my favourite. I had her for my birthday one year, though. But Christmas-wise, definitely the Monopoly set. I loved it. I was introduced to it through my best friend at primary school when I went to tea with her one day and loved it. And my mum and dad got me a set as a surprise. 
So, yes. Were you an arty type person? Did you like pen and paper? Did you like felt tip pens and those sort of things? I always wished I could draw, but I've been writing poems and stories and that from such a young age. I, I mean, I was writing poems from sort of as soon as I could write, basically. And, and some of them were a bit silly, um, like red is a hat, red is a glove, red is a heart and the colour of love, you know. <laughs> but I was five years old then. I seen that on so, Moon Pixie the other day. <laughs> <laughs> but, I, you know, I've always enjoyed writing. And so although I'm useless when it comes to drawing, I try to paint a picture with words instead. But you didn't have a bedroom of your own. You shared it? I shared a bedroom with my two sisters, yes, because we lived in a three-bedroom semi. Um, my brother had the small bedroom. My mum and dad had the medium-sized one, and then there were three beds in our bedroom. So we had the big bedroom between us. And the relationship between you and your two sisters, was it fantastic? Were you a little gang? Were you clicky? We were terrible. We had our moments where we might have disagreements, as kids do, but most of the time we spent most of our time singing, as I said, putting on concerts for my mum and dad and harmonising. In fact, in later, I say later years, when I was at secondary school, we used to go to the local pub on a Sunday night with my mum and dad. And it was a typical family local pub, a lovely old building with a balcony out off of the saloon bar and a garden. And we'd go in there and we'd sing. And the pub used to get packed. And I remember one day being absolutely horrified that three of my teachers walked in and we were mid-song. <laughs> And when I went to school the next day, they went, we didn't realise you had such a lovely singing voice, Marlene, even though you're in the choir. <laughs> I am pleased that I'm able to produce these presentations free to you at this time. However, they are not free to make and incur ongoing costs in equipment and technical production. Help me to keep this valuable service free for the majority by becoming one of the Spirited Talk partners. Your regular donation will be rewarded with access to additional content. But more importantly, you'll know you are helping to keep Spirited Talk growing. For more information, visit our website support page at spiritedtalkpodcast.com. Hello, my name is Neil Bradley and I'm a spirit medium. If there's one thing I could say to someone who's wishing to explore the potential of being a medium, it's simply to just sit in the beautiful energy and allow the spirit world to give you wings. You're listening to the Spirited Talk Podcast. Subscribe now to be part of the growing community. Go on, your spirit knows it's right. So, Marlene, in front of me now, I have 10 numbers, 1 to 10, of which there is a question that has been asked by our voiceover man, Arthur. But let me give you a warning. They're not spiritual. And sometimes I cringe with embarrassment. So, Marlene, what number would you like? I'll try number five this time, please. Number five. Here is your chosen question. Question five. If you could make yourself invisible for just five minutes... What would you do? Oh, <laughs> oh gosh, five minutes. Oh, I'd probably have a rest. <laughs> really? Well, whenever anybody's, you know, when I'm at home, it's like, oh, mummy, is it time for lunch yet? Or and my husband would come in and go, oh, is there anything to eat? Or can I have a cup of coffee? And and my phone goes and everything. If I was invisible, nobody would know I was here, would they? <laughs> They'd have to make their own coffee or food or whatever um on a naughty side i'd yeah. probably like to go and listen or eavesdrop on um 
some people that I feel aren't who they appear to be, and that's not at all spiritual. Um, and I always go with my gut. The sad thing is I always know when people are telling lies, but to have confirmation of that sometimes, just so that I know where I stand with them. That's really naughty, isn't it? And very unspiritual. Well, no, no, that's mild. I'm telling you, I've been, I've been worried that there's gonna one of our gentleman guests was going to be asked that question because I thought, oh my god, what is he going to answer with five minutes of invisibility? I don't know what he'd get up to. But I'm glad it's a female, a clean answer, and a good answer. Marlene, thank you very much for that. Let's get back to your story. Did you know, just talking to you brought back another memory was when we were young, we also used to, you know, going to the pubs was more a social thing. It wasn't, you it know, was. you didn't. And I remember my dad, he, he walked us down uh, through from where we lived at the time in Gloucester. And we went to a pub. I don't know if it's still there now. It used to be called the New Pilot. And it was sort of just before you got to the crossroads in the centre of Gloucester. And this pub had a minor bird in a cage outside. And this minor bird could talk. And I remember we went there one evening. And as we're walking down this little dark alleyway to go to the garden where, you know, we all sat out, the minor bird went, hello, Frank. Hello, Frank. And my dad, he never passed out because that was his name, Frank. And he went to the landlord and he said, how does your, how does your bird know my name? He said, oh, that's a clever bird. And he tried to lead that on about how this bird knew everybody. You know, it was kind of like a psychic bird or whatever. But it transpired, you know, they were sat there having drinks. And about an hour later, you know, a man and his wife walked around the corner and he went, hello, Frank. Hello, Frank. To that. And my dad cottoned on. But yeah, it's funny, that funny little memory. That won't go in the, that won't go in the final edit. Trust me. <laughs> Oh, it should be. That, um, when I've mentioned the pilgrim, actually, when I went to secondary school and it was my first, my first day there, I think it was, or my first week there, it was strange going to school from one house and going back to a different house. And the house that is now like the family home, and my mum's still there, is in an area in Hayward Heath known as Little America because it was originally, the original buildings in that area were built by a man called William Allen, who was a Quaker and a philanthropist. And he was wanting to encourage people to look after themselves, care for themselves. So he built like agricultural places and little cottages, for people to live and live off the land. And so when he died and they redeveloped that area, a lot of the roads are named after that Quaker link. So there's Quaker Lane, there's America Lane, there's New England Road, the pub was the Pilgrim, there's Boston Court and Mayflower Road, Washington Road. But to the locals, it's known as Little America. I don't suppose you can remember that very, very first day of going to infant school and your mum leaving you at the gates and you go, oh, my God, do you remember that? I remember being excited because my mum had this way of making everything sound like an adventure. My dad was the same. And so, you know, you're going to go to school, you can make lots of new friends and you're going to learn lots of things. And I, I remember running in and, you know, not even looking back, which must have been horrible for my mum, but I do remember I absolutely loved primary school. We all did. We were very, very lucky to go there. Our school actually was built on land donated for a school by Anna Sewell, who yeah. wrote Black Beauty. Black Beauty, yeah. So, because um, not so long ago, maybe sort of five or six years ago, the local authority were wanting to 
close that school and sell the land to be built on, but they couldn't because she tied it all up very, very neatly. It could only be used as an educational establishment. So So let's move on to your junior school, as we used to call it. How were you off with the junior school? Uh, So primary school, that's um, from five onward. Well, as I said, I, I just loved it. Oh, we did have this lovely teacher once. Her name was Miss Kent. I'd love to know what happened to her. But she said she was going to hold a talent contest. And I must have been about seven or eight at the time. And I thought I'd sing because I loved singing. It, it just brought me so much joy. And so I said to my one of my friends, I'm going to sing. And she went, oh, well, I, ha- I can't do anything. I said, well, you could sing with me. Well, I can't sing very well. So I said, well, what about if we do, my dad loved Connie Francis. I said, we could do the song together and I can sing it and then you can come in with together. It would be like, we stroll the lanes together. And I said, and then you can go together because <laughs> she wanted to be a part of this, you see. <laughs> so we sang it and I could see the teacher's face and she probably thought, I cannot believe I'm sitting here listening to an eight-year-old singing about love and walking in the park and <laughs> all this sort of thing. But she was so tickled by it. She said to me, I'd like to record you singing that song. And I thought she must be incredibly posh because she'd got a tape recorder. Oh, wow, yeah. You know, a proper tape recorder. And I thought, oh, my goodness, she must be really rich (laughs) and very posh. And she recorded me singing it on my own. (laughs) I can't remember how the talent competition went, but (laughs) I still remember that. Isn't that interesting? Around about that time, my father came back from where he worked one day and he'd found an old gramophone on the tip. There used to be a tip just behind where he worked and he used to go browsing. And uh, he brought this old um, gramophone, a wind-up gramophone home. And he said there was only this one or two records with it. We went to a local shop and we bought some needles to put in it. And that first record, and the only record I had at the time, was I was on the Isle of Capri, I first met her. I think it was just called the Isle of Capri. But can you imagine in our garden, I'd wind it up and play this record and, 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 you know, it was the only one we had. But, of course, that was the music of the time. What was your favourite recording artist when you were growing up? That's a hard question because I love all types of music, you see. It's not just pop and rock. It's opera as well, so I love all of it. Um, you know, I lo- used to love listening to Pavarotti. Oh, right. And my, he was one of my dad's favourites as well. Freddie Mercury, of course, love him. I used to like Adam Faith. And funnily enough, he lived quite close to here in a place called Henfield. So I never got to meet him, but from what I heard of him, he was a genuinely nice man. Who who was your dad's favourite singer or pop group? And who was your mum's favourite singer or pop group? Well, they both loved Connie Francis. They had all of her records. I think they were 45s or something. Is that right? Yeah, yeah, 78s and 45s. Yeah, they used to like those. Can't remember who else they liked. It's interesting, though, just just hearing what you've just said. Connie Francis, I think, was in my mum's radar at the time, but my mum was more midstream. She was more Frank Sinatra. She even loved Tom Jones Oh yeah, and, and all of those, whereas my dad was slightly country. He liked people called, I think it was Charlie Rich or Charlie Pride, Jim Reeves, Glenn Campbell, that kind of era. Oh, dad liked Jim Reeves. He did like Jim Reeves. And my mum and dad both had good singing voices as well, so they'd often sing along with the records, and I guess that's where... 
me and my brother and my sisters picked up the, the singing thing, really. Coming to the end of your time at the primary school, it's time then to move on. Now, in my era, I'm not sure about yours because you're so much younger than me, but in my era, we took an 11 plus exam, which moved us on to either, if you were very super cool, you'd get to a grammar school or one of the posher schools. And if you were just me, you ended up in the comprehensive that would accept. How did it work for you? Not putting you on the spot there. No, well, I I did pass the 11 plus, but I didn't want to go to the grammar school. I wanted to go to secondary school with all my friends. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, no, literally. So I went to the secondary school and to be fair to myself, I was in the A stream all the way through, but I really didn't want to leave my friends behind because most of them lived in the same area as us. And I just wasn't ready, I suppose, I wasn't mature enough, perhaps, at 11 to think that grammar school might give me better opportunities. I just really wanted to be with my friends. And my partner, who was a teacher for all of her career before she retired, would be straight in on these microphones now and she'd be telling you, hey, or telling us both here, hey, the education at secondary modern schools was just as good as anywhere else. It was actually. It was superb because some of the people I know who did go to the grammar school just fell by the wayside and I feel our secondary school was superb. I went through the usual bullying that you get at schools but apart from that I could not fault their teaching and even now they're quite well recognized Uh, I don't know if you've ever heard of the South of England show but the school has its own farm now and they are frequently winning prizes for their animals at the South of England show. You mentioned and you glossed over very quickly there there was some bullying tell me in what way that that came about and why do you think it happened? Well, although I wanted to go to the secondary school to be with all my friends, a lot of them were in different streams to me. And there was one person who was meant to be my best friend, but she, in reality, she was my best friend when it suited her. And she could be quite nasty and quite spiteful. And I remember having my hair cut once and she decided she was going to call me Gorilla. (laughs) And the name stuck, you know, because children do that. They They don't want to be bullied, so they'll side with the bully rather than side with the one being bullied. I remember one day I just exploded at her and she fell backwards through the door, the double doors, because I I just had it had been building up inside me for so long. I kept saying to my mum about it, and she said, You need to deal with it, darling. You need to confront her with it. And she just walked through these double doors towards me. And all of this pent-up resentment and pain and hurt from her being so horrible to me just came out. And she was, well, she just fell backwards through the doors. And I just turned on my heel and walked away. And that was the end of that. And I think that is why I try to see the good in everyone. But there was no need for her to be that way with me. She just decided she wanted to have some fun, I suppose. Yes, and that did blight my years at school, although I rose above it by the time I was in the sort of third or fourth year at school. I had another group of friends, different group of friends, and she used to turn everything into a competition. That was We were both first sopranos in the school choir. There were only three of us that were first sopranos. I'd be asked to do something, and it's like she'd be stepping in front of me going, I can do that. 
I just let her do what she felt she needed to do because maybe she needed that more than I did. Mm. I don't know. Mm. Yeah, it's, it. I think in my case, with the bullying started, it was quite easy. I was an easy target. I was red-headed, um, so gingers was always picked on. And I had big ears, and I was tall and skinny. So I was the perfect subject for everybody to to pick on. And, and my way out of all of that was to be the fool in the class and always try and make people laugh and always be the one that got into trouble with the teacher. But at least I kept the bullies on my side because at the time I thought I was winning their respect, I suppose. So, okay, that's that's a tough one. What was your favourite um, subject in senior school? Where, where did you find that your your energy was going? I used to love English. We had this wonderful English teacher and he turned learning into fun. If we had, say, for example, we'd have spelling tests regularly We'd be in a class of, say, 42 students, and he'd start with the person in the desk in the far corner sitting there and saying, right, spell this word for me. Every time you spelt it wrong, you had to go to the back of the class and everybody had to shuffle forwards or sideways to the next seat so that everybody got a chance to spell. And he'd turn everything into fun. And when he taught navigation as well, because he was an accomplished sailor, he actually plotted out the stars and the next constellation, which was Andromeda, on the ceiling of his classroom and got one of these big scaffolding things on wheels into the classroom. And the artists in the class were up on the scaffold painting all these images on the ceiling to be the stars. And Andromeda was shown as a woman with a long flowing dress and everything. And, you know, everything was magic with him he encouraged me with my writing as well and when we'd get our weekly essay to write I always found it hard at the time to write essays so I'd write a poem and I always got a 10 out of 10 because he believed it was harder to write something that rhymed than write an essay so I did quite well but that was my favourite. Do you think actually liking the teacher and accepting the way they taught actually had an influence on how much you learned in that subject? Um, definitely, because we had a, a history teacher who would spend the whole lesson dictating to us. And we had these books called rough books. Yeah. We had to write everything down quickly in them. Yeah, yeah, great and, books. And then go home and our homework would be to write it neatly in our exercise books. Mm. And we had to use a fountain pen. We weren't allowed to use anything else. But, of course, of course. I'm left-handed. So I'd start writing as neatly as I could. But as I And I'd be writing with my elbow up so I didn't smudge what I was writing. But after you've done about four pages of that, I'd end up with my hand smudging the writing and she'd give me like five out of ten because my writing was untidy. And my mum actually went into the school and said to her, Marlene's left-handed. She can't write page after page without smudging it. Is it okay if I give her a biro to bring into school? And she said, no, she's got to use a fountain pen. She used to bully me quite a bit. So she'd sort of call me out in class and get me to answer something that she knew I couldn't possibly answer. And I remember on his last day at school, my brother was so fed up with this that I was sitting in class and all of a sudden the door swung open and hit the wall and he came in. I remember her saying, Tucker, get out of my classroom. And he said, Tunny, I'm here to speak to you. (laughs) 
And he said, you will not intimidate my sister. She was born left-handed. She's left-handed. And he really went to town on her. And then he said, right, I have my say. And he went out and shut the door behind him. Oh. And she never bullied me after that. She actually called me after the class. And I thought, oh, no, she, oh, what is she going to do? You know, she apologised to me. Listen, there's going to be a lot of my, uh, the listeners to the Spirited Talk that will say, what? What's a fountain pen? Listen, back in the 60s and the 70s, there weren't such things as biros. And if you did see them, they were absolutely, you know, you nicked them basically because they were so rare. You never, and pencils were always blunt. But the schools had a rule that you must have a fountain pen. And that was in the days we used to get Parkers and Schaefers and, and ordinary cheap pens that leaked and cartridges and ink mine was a cartridge pen yeah what yeah. a mess or a little lever on the side of the pen but you dip the pen in the ink and, and then you draw the ink up yeah. yes but mine was a cartridge pen because i was quite messy as a child so it's easy for me just to slot one in when it ran out so my mum and dad couldn't afford a fountain pen and they sent me to school with a quill this is no joke it was really? a feather my dad had made it it was just a feather probably out of a seagull or something like that a feather and a pot of ink it was awful but it was because the school wouldn't allow biros and things like that weren't allowed so i understand that i remember that they did have some pens for students that didn't have one but then they'd have the old-fashioned inkwells. Yeah. And so most of them managed to find a pen somewhere because it was embarrassing asking the teacher for some ink to go in the inkwell. It was, and that was the only thing, I think, um, with that school, that they were a little bit – some teachers almost enjoyed making those children feel quite small. Yes. Yeah, you know that was in the days that you'd get a blackboard duster thrown at you for nothing, and this was in the days where if you during breaks, if you walked by the staff uh, staff room, you would see them all smoking inside, and if they opened the oh, staff yeah. room door, the yeah. smoke would billow out while they're all having a fag inside. Can you believe that? Yes, I can. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. So, how did you do with your uh, qualifications when you left school, and what were you aspiring to be? And at the time, I really wasn't sure what I wanted to do. I was working as a Saturday girl at Woolworths to get myself a little bit of money and used to work during the school holidays as well. On one side, I wanted to be a policewoman, but I wasn't tall enough. I thought I'd like to be maybe a solicitor or a lawyer because I had a very inquiring mind. I wanted to know more and learn more. But I remember my dad saying to me, because I stayed on to the fifth year so that I could do GCEs and CSEs and so on. I did very well with my exams. I even passed art, which surprised me. I thought maybe whoever was examining my work hadn't got their glasses that day or something, or thought I might be the next Salvador Dali or Picasso. <laughs> but um, no, I, um, I did quite well. And my dad said to me, because Woolworths said to me, oh, we've got a full-time job for you if you want it. And my dad said, don't get a job in a shop, get a job in an office. And so I started working for quite a big insurance brokers in Haywards Heath for quite a few years. Then I left there and went to an export company, which was quite interesting. Um, they used to sell car spares to the Far East and Middle East, and that was quite interesting. And then eventually I changed my job and went to a company in Burgess Hill because I'd moved there when I got married. So, Can you remember what the first wage packet was? How much was in it? 
I know that I was earning something like seven pounds a week. <laughs> and I used to walk all the way to work and walk all the way home again because I couldn't afford the bus <laughs> did, did your mum and dad, did they insist you pay a little bit into the house? No, they didn't, but I did voluntarily. They, they never insisted that we gave them, I think they used to call it keep, yeah. But we all did voluntarily because we all thought, you know, we loved our mum and dad and we thought it might help out. Yeah. So none of us had a problem with that. Quite cheap, wasn't it, really, as well? <laughs> it was. <laughs> <laughs> oh, bless. Now then, I want you to name a TV theme from when you're, from those very early years up to the age of 25. What was your favourite TV theme? Oh, gosh, that's a good one. Yeah. One I remember from when I was little, because my mum and dad used to watch it, was Dixon of Dot Green. And oh. I can still remember that tune in my head. Uh, should we have a go? That's it. Yeah, I used to love that. Yeah. <laughs> Just listening to the tune for some reason, lying in bed and listening to them watching that on TV sort of brought some sort of comfort to me. I don't know what probably the familiar sound of it or something. Well, you know, just just to give a history line there for people, Dixon the Dot, Dot Green was the first police drama, which was probably a, pe- a precursor to Z Cars that went on to be Softly Softly. And then we yeah. had the Bill. The Sweetie the, Oh, don't. <laughs> I, I was more into the professionals and, the, you know. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. The Mavericks. I, I rather liked... Um, not Martin. Uh, oh, what was the? Uh, yeah, Bodie. Come on. That's it. What was his name? Because he he died quite young, didn't he? Did he did a few years ago. Yeah, he was. He was. A, I, did. I think he was. I an thought SA- he was rather nice. Yes. Um, oh well, that'll come to me in a minute. I mean, as far as I'm concerned, Martin's a, a good-looking dish, anyway, isn't he? But um, Martin Shaw. Martin isn't Shaw's it? Yeah. a good-looking dish. I, I really, you know, if I could have some looks, I'd have his looks. He he just <laughs> he must smoke forty a day because of the voice of his. <laughs> Possibly. Right, we'll, we'll think of that name, and in a minute we'll blurt that name out for Lewis Collins. That was it. Yeah. Yes, I thought he was just so gorgeous. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> As when we were kids, these were heroes we used to watch on TV. By the way, and we've digressed a little bit here. Marlene, bringing things a little bit back round. When was the first time you experienced somebody close to you dying? That was when I was about eleven or twelve. And it really affected me. It was a close friend and her sister, friends of me and my the next sister down from me, um, who died. And it took me a long, long time to get over it. A long time because I, at the time, I felt it was my fault. Did you understand what that meant, dying? Or was it just the, the grief of not seeing them again? To me, it's like they, they were gone forever. At that time, I thought, you know, it wasn't just not seeing them again. It's like if they'd moved house or something, I might see them one day if they came back to visit. But it was the devastation of feeling I would never see them again and that that was that. Even talking about it now still makes me feel a little bit emotional because they used to come to the same evangelical summer holiday thing. They lived just up the road from us. But at the time, I really thought it was my fault that they'd gone. Were you understanding that there was another world or was that just something you you didn't really understand? Now, I say that just before I let you answer here, Marlene, I've come to a common denominator in all guests. 
there are a lot of, and, and, and we haven't spoke about this yet in the interview and in the next part of this we will obviously uh, dis- look into this more but what I've discovered with a lot of mediums is they may have had childhood gifts but they didn't interpret they didn't know what it was it was just there it was just part of life and it was only later in life that uh, they understood what that was so let me go back to that question with you did you understand that there was another world at that time i felt there was something but at that age i wasn't 100% sure what that something was because of the experiences I'd had in my childhood, yes. Yeah, which we yeah. will we will obviously come on to shortly. How are your mum and dad about this sort of afterlife thing? Did they ever have any, you know, tales of freakiness? My mum, well, they were both very psychic. My mum told me a story once of a strange experience she'd had in the first house her and dad lived in after getting married. And she said that she was cleaning the windows in the house and she was standing on a little stool, and she suddenly thought, I've done this before. And as she did, she said she's suddenly aware she was wearing a long dress with a, a like a pinafore apron over it, and she had a little cap on. And she said it was only a fleeting moment while she was cleaning these windows, and she never got that experience again. But, of course, she only told me that in later years, so when I was doing what I do now. So, yeah. Well, I think this is a good point to wrap up this first of the two episodes with the wonderful Marlene Woolgar, age 35, who has so far shared much of her young story with us. I want you to leave me with a little teaser, Marlene. Now, I don't want you to give any surnames away, but I believe from your childhood times, you have a, a special friendship. Do you want to tease us with that over the ending? Yes, I can. Um, My brother was quite an outgoing lad. Well, he still is. I was the typical younger sister and I used to have a thing about some of his friends that he brought around, especially in my sort of early teens. And I do remember one of them and they used to spend so much time laughing their heads off with each other. And I never knew what they'd been up to. In later years, regale me with some of the tales of like their trips overseas with a group of other people and all the trouble they got into and I thought my brother was perfect (laughs) but my brother's got a sense of humour as well but yes I didn't realise how influential with his sense of humour was going to (laughs) be in my future life. And on that bombshell, we're going to end this first episode and we'll find out in the second part who on earth is this geezer that Marlene knew from her childhood. So come back on the next episode. Marlene, for this moment, thank you very much for what you've shared with us. Thank you, Trevor. And that brings another episode of Spirited Talk to a close. A reminder that there are many ways you can support these podcasts into the future. Start right now by subscribing to this podcast on whatever platform you're listening to it on right now. You are also welcome to join our Facebook podcast community group where hundreds of listeners and the guests come together to be part of Spirited Talk. If you'd like to contribute financially from as little as £5 per month, you can become a partner and access exclusive content and know that you're helping to keep this valuable information source going into the future. You can find out more about this and much more on our website at spiritedtalkpodcast.com. A huge thank you to my partners and to my guests today. From me, Trevor, thank you again and goodbye. (laughs) 